Good morning. This morning is Palm Sunday. We're a week away from Easter. My memories of this day basically only go back about 10 or 15 years because I've really never celebrated anything around Easter uh, ever, except if my birthday was close and then maybe in my house they might do something on that end. But really, we didn't really celebrate Easter much unless like we totally did the egg thing. We would color eggs. I totally remember that. But Christian-wise, I don't really have a lot of like memories about Easter outside of it. Um, and when I did finally come into understanding Easter and the things like that, so the last of my memories are always filled with sermons and, and coming in and listening to preachers preach about Easter. Uh, and I've heard all kinds of approaches to talk about Palm Sunday. I've heard all kinds of things. I, 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 um, I mean, basically, that's kind of always the approach. We always talk about like what he did on this day and and the Passion Week and, and everything kind of that's approaching. And as I begin to look at the passage and, and really see about what I was going to talk about, um, this is where I like books and things like that. I like teaching uh, on uh, Ephesians. I like teaching on Corinthians. I like teaching us the books because then I can just kind of move along. Uh, when we get to a place where I have to like specifically go target an area, it becomes very difficult uh, uh, to like make something happen <laughs> uh, in my studies. And so... But as I begin to look, uh, I begin to look at things, what happens on the surface of it, of, of him just approaching in, and, and, and we're going to talk about that. And if you'll turn to Luke chapter 19, that's where we'll begin. But I'm going to talk a little bit before we get there. Luke chapter 19. So before we, before we begin, let's, let's just start with the understanding that this wasn't the first thing that happened on Palm Sunday. All right? I, I don't know if we talk about it much. I don't know if you've heard about much what happened before or what happens after but it's not the only thing that happens on this day. It is probably the most uh, thought about thing. It is probably the most talked about thing. But it's not the only thing that has happened uh, on this day. Uh, Jesus didn't wake up and find himself on a donkey strolling into Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not sure we even think about uh, what, if, if that's actually what we think about or, or do we think about other things. Uh, I, I, I know they call it the triumphant entry. Uh, and that's usually, it usually takes up a lot because that's like the most noticeable thing. It's the loudest thing coming out of this day. So uh, if you look, though, Jesus is aware of what awaits him. And when this day starts out, it really starts out more in chapter 18. I want, we're going to start in 19, but it starts out really in chapter 18 for Jesus and Jesus is not so much fooled by the noise, and it's not that he, we're going to talk about how he does feel about it, but Luke 18, 31, 33 actually records Jesus telling the disciples about this day. First and foremost, when he woke up, the thing he says was, we're going to Jerusalem, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him and whip him and kill him, but on the third day... He will rise. That's how his day starts out. <laughs> like, oh, we'll go to prayer. Turns out this day is the day you're headed, that first step into the guarantee of to the cross. This is happening. And so, like, I can't imagine the pressure. <laughs> I know it was a weight to bear because we see later on when he prays at Gethsemane, he sweats blood. It's, it's definitely a cup that only he drinks. Um. But he knows his fate at this point. 
He's very aware of his purpose at this point. And what's waiting for him is pretty simple. Pain is what waits for him in Jerusalem. Pain is. But the coolest thing about Jesus is that he, keep, he keeps still walking towards there. Like knowing that's his fate, every step he takes is, is more of a purpose step. He's intentionally stepping towards the cross. And so along the way, you know, he, he stays faithful to what he's called there to do. And you know this. He is there to, to make the blind see. He's there to set the captives free. This is what Jesus does. This is his ministry while he's here. And uh, as he approaches Jericho, right, because he's not to Jerusalem yet. The day doesn't start out with him just walking into Jerusalem. The day starts here. And as he approaches Jericho, he comes across a blind man. And you can read the story for yourself there at the end of chapter 18. But as he comes across him, this guy calls out to him. He begins to heal him. Now the blind can see Right. The next story that takes place is as he's moving now through Jericho. See that he came into it. Heals the blind man. Now as he's moving through Jericho, he he is actually having to deal with a chief tax collector. Some of you, some of you know the guy, right? Zacchaeus, the wee little the wee little man. What a horrible phrase. May no man be called a wee little man. Right. So degrading feels like. <laughs> But yes, Zacchaeus, right? And Zacchaeus, his encounter with Jesus makes him never the same. I mean, that's in and of itself, it's like a whole sermon in and of itself. He's, he has this repentative spirit. His life is immediately changed. And, and so much so, Jesus declares salvation has come to this home today. I mean, it's, it's obvious, physically and visibly obvious that salvation is coming to the home of Zacchaeus. So Jesus has everyone's attention. There's no doubt about that, right? He's come into Jericho. First of all, he states real clear, this is how the day starts. I'm heading to Jerusalem. I know what lies ahead of me there. I know what I have to do. So with every step I take, I know that my fate is coming. I know that as I walk towards the cross, this is what is going to take place. And yet I'm going to keep on walking. Not only am I going to keep on walking, but as I come through the cities before I get there, I'm going to deal with some things. I'm going to continue to set the blind, uh, uh, to give sight to the blind. I'm going to continue to set captives free and, 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 and give salvation out. And, and even though all that lays ahead of him, he's still pressing forward. But he isn't riding the donkey just yet. Matter of fact, as he realizes now, because all these things have happened, I mean, he's just sitting with a tax collector. By the way, those are like traitors to the Jews and, uh, of their own people. And, and he, he's, he's sitting with people that the, the Pharisees would call sinners. And, and he's collected a crowd, so to speak, along the way. And as he walks from Jericho towards Jerusalem, not quite in, but towards it, he realizes he has a crowd. And so he takes the opportunity to preach. Luke 19, verse 11 through 27. It's a little bit lengthy. It says this, The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story, listen, to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. But listen, it says, But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. And after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he'd given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. 
The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back the only, only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money, kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from his servant. And give it to the ones who have ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Triumphant entry. <laughs> You know, Joy gets on to me sometimes. She's like, you preach so hard. I was like, I think I just took a lesson from the master. I mean, right before one of the greatest moments where we get to hand our kids palm trees every morning, Jesus is preaching something so hard and tough that, you know, before he enters into the whole palm branch thing. It's this parable. In this parable, Jesus reminds them that the kingdom of God has not yet come. But it is coming. You've heard this parable before, we all have. The man who hasn't been crowned king yet goes away to be crowned king. And when he's gone, he instructs his servant to take what he's given them. Invest it before he comes back, right? Take what you have. Sprinkle some faith on that stuff. Take what you have and use it, right? And then the ugly truth of this parable is the servants don't really like him and don't really want him for king. (laughs) They don't want him at all. They send a whole delegation on, on, on like their behalf to, not, to try to get this guy voted out, man. How can we get this guy? He's not who we wanted. Nevertheless, he's crowned as king. He eventually returns. Upon returning, he finds that some did invest. And to those who invested and listened and took risk with what he'd given them, he blessed them more. And to the ones who didn't do anything but lock it under, lock, it under, uh, uh, lock and key, well, I mean, you, you heard it. He, to- he took from them. And you give it to those who risked. <laughs> and well, and to those who just simply didn't believe at all, he executed. Jesus says that a lot. It comes in different ways. It's usually like, if you don't produce fruit, I'm just going to burn you in the fire. We're going to cut down that tree and burn it up. Like, he says that stuff and can totally get away with it. If I was to say that stuff, it sounds like condemnation. It's not a very fuzzy, feel-good story. You know, uh, and yet this is what Jesus preached right before he got onto the donkey and entered Jerusalem. It's interesting to me that Jesus had already surveyed the crowd of who was following him, the crowd that would also be meeting him in Jerusalem. He knew what they were thinking. They were thinking that with Jesus approaching, he would end the oppression of the Roman occupation. And he would usher in the kingdom of God. He knew that the crowd was eating every word that came out of his mouth. And they were also soaking up every bit of anointing that flowed from his hands. The proof is all through Jericho. Right? But he also knew that uh, they would turn on him. (laughs) Because they misunderstood the moment. They didn't understand what was happening. See, he understood from from the very beginning. That's why we started in 18. so, So you could listen to the words of Christ going, I know where this day ends. 
Yeah, they, they have no clue what lies ahead, but I know where this day is. See, I'm trying to talk to them in a way that, that maybe that one day they'll get. I'm not going to come right out and say it. That's what this parable is kind of like, right? I don't want to come out and say it. It's hidden to those who can't see. It was a way of telling them and really revealing to them that he fully understood this false perception of the situation. Oh, yeah, they were heralding him. Oh, praise the Lord. That's what we do. They were raising palm trees. They were saying, hey, he's the son of God. No, what they were thinking is this guy's going to come release us from Roman occupation is what they were thinking. It was not, oh, Jesus is God. Listen, Jesus is God is what got him on the cross. And the praise that that's, that's going on or what they believe is going to happen is he's going to end Roman persecution. He's going to free the nation. And, and basically, you know what they were hoping for? The days of King David are upon us. Because this is heir to David. Remember, what else did they call him? Son of David. Man. In the beginning of this parable, we never see anyone treat the nobleman poorly. Yet, after he leaves, we see the real story, right? They hate him. They don't want him to be king. And to me, this is too familiar. Some things about human nature never seem to change. And let me explain what that is. Even way back then, it was common practice to act one way and actually be another. Let me say that again. Even back then, it was common practice to act one way and really be another. You know, we call that fake here. And the church is full of this kind of behavior, but Jesus sees through it. And this is his parable. of, of It's basically like a clever way of saying, I see it. Like, I'm not an idiot to this thing. I see what's going on, right? And sure, some will believe, and yet the truth of this parable is that many won't. And despite the miracles and even truth, they still won't believe it. The pain of rejection is difficult to navigate through. Think about this. I mean, if it was anyone other than Jesus, I'm not sure they would survive without at least dealing with a bit of bitterness here. Because you know that rejection is coming. You know that the reason they're praising you is not because of what you really are. You know it's not for what you really came to do. You know that these same people that are praising you, because you just said it. In chapter 18, you know what their hands are about to do. Oh, their hands are holding palm branches now, but they're about to pick up some rocks. Because when you don't do what they want you to do, when you're not the God they want you to be, it's all going to change. Right? Man, rejection. Everybody deals with that. I mean, when you, when you, Jesus, for instance, he, he is walking towards his purpose. He's walking towards the cross. He knows this is where he's supposed to be. And, and the entire way is filled with rejection. Like he knows, that's what the whole parable was about. I'm rejected as who I am. They don't want me to be king. Not, not, not the king. Like a puppet king, maybe, but not the king. And the story was meant to reveal to the people who could understand that he knew what they were thinking even though they didn't believe in him. And even though they didn't believe, he was trying to tell them that eventually he will return as one. It's also to encourage us to be faithful, to believe, to not give up as well. This all leads us to the moment he enters Jerusalem, right? So let's get to that part. Let's just get to that part. There's a lot of the gloomy stuff, but let's get to that part. Because this is the good part. Luke 19, 28 through 40. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the way to Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. Go into the village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, 
Why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the garments over it for him to ride. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your fathers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst out into cheers. Awesome line. Right? So this is kind of like a, a bit of sunshine on what's like a gloomy day, right? The whole parable, it's rough, it's honest, uh, and on point. But as Jesus pushes forward, there's like this small moment here that's beautiful. You ever see like a, a cloudy day, and it's like, like, say a day like this where it's super cloudy, and then all of a sudden like just a little bit of the clouds break and the sun comes through? That's like this. Maybe that's why we like Palm Sunday so much. It's like the little bit of sunshine that somehow like in the little tiniest of moment, we get it right. Like we might have some, we, we might have some false perceptions of who God is, but at least we're praising the right God. <laughs> you know, we might have some issues going on with what we want Him to do for us. That He's not our puppet King, like we might would like Him to be at times. Where God just do what I pray for. All right, will you just like do that much? And, and like, will you do this and do this and do this? Like we got a honey do list for God, you know, and God ain't like that. But at least in this one moment, we're praising the right God. And this is Palm Sunday. And a few things here, like, listen, I've always found this kind of fascinating, um, that someone just hands over the donkey, which would have been something of extreme value. I mean, that thing's either plowing your land or getting you from A to B. So, I, don't, I mean, I'm just being honest, and we've reached a very different culture, I know, but it seems to me that you would not hand your car keys over to someone who said, the Lord has need of it. Because I will try that, and I'm pretty sure I might go to jail. Because ain't nobody handing me keys. They're going to think they're held up. They're going to be looking for a gun. And if I ain't got a gun, they're going to tell me what for. Because nobody hands their car over just because somebody says, the Lord has need of it. But brother, I don't care what the Lord can come to me himself. <laughs> I always think this is a crazy story, right? I mean, the only way I can even justify this whole thing happening, right, with this, this donkey is the fact that this guy has to be a man of prayer. How else would he know? So when the Lord has... Now, here's what I have seen. And, and, and just stay with me here. See if you've experienced something like this before. Have you ever, like, like you prayed and, and maybe, maybe God's told you something might happen or whatever, and then, like, something happens. You're like, man, it's like God told me that. Like, like, or somebody says, you know what? God told me to give you a word, and it was, like, the right word for you. And, like, you're like, man, it just checks in your spirit is right. Only praying people have that experience. Only praying people. People who are close to God have that experience. All right, because there's no need for any other way. I mean, like, so this guy, ha there has to be some closeness between him and God so that when somebody comes up and says, Lord had need of it, he's like, okay, all right. Yeah, I'll go along with that because it, se it seems right. I'm not sure how, you know, it's like that. I'm not sure how, but I think that was right today. Like, I did this today. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever done anything like, you know, something big where you've given somebody something that was like crazy, almost like way too much for you to even give, but you gave it because you're like, I know the Lord told me to do it, and I don't even know why. Like, like it's going to hurt, but I know the Lord told me to do it, right? And so I think it's like one of those moments where, like, oh, there's, these, there's these supernatural things that are taking place. Jesus is like, just go tell them, right? Why? Because it's already been taken care of. I, I think back of the Roman soldier says, man, I understand your authority. 
You're the kind of guy who tells somebody else what else what to do, and that gets done. You don't worry about it. Just tell them I need this done. Tell them I'm going to go get the donkey. Bring it back over here to me. Tell them the Lord has need of it. It's done. It's a done thing. He understands authority. Secondly, I love that Jesus didn't rebuke anyone or reveal that he could see through anything. I mean, he just got through telling the parable. He just, we just came from chapter 18 where he talked about uh, all of a sudden, uh, I know where I'm going. I'm, I'm walking into Jerusalem now. Uh, we are danger close. We are danger close at this point. I know where I'm at. I understand my situation. But Jesus at this point knows uh, uh, he's like enjoying the moment at this point. Like he knows that from the same mouth these blessings flow, uh, cursings are going to be in the next week. Right? But he enjoys the moment. Even to the point where he takes time to good jab at the Pharisee. <laughs> I'm telling you, if they stop, the rocks will cry out, sir. I love it. I love it. Like in this moment, you, you, you got some things wrong here, but at least this part's right. There, there's something about a God who really loves for us to call on him. There's something about God who, like, even though we, he knows that we got it wrong, still likes to hear us call his name. You know? Moms, you should understand this a little bit. Aren't we like that as kids? We call on mom, even, even no matter what, like, we're going to get in trouble no matter what. We can call on mom or something like that, and you like, it's like you're sucker punched. That's how it is. I see that in the Lord. I see it in the Lord, right? He's entered into Jerusalem because he was created for this purpose. And the parable tells us, shows us that he's familiar with this pain of rejection and the pain of false pretenses. He understands that some wish him harm. He knows that pain awaits him. He's still determined to go, to die, <laughs> to die, to atone. These same people won't be so nice, but it's for them that he has come. And this is the beauty of Easter. They, this is the part where like, we're overwhelmed because we understand that we're undeserved. Like, like, you know that we're the crowd, right? Like We praise him, but more often than not, dude, we're still like, make no mistake, we need him. We don't get him all the time and why he does the things he does. We think he's just going to sometimes make our life better and, and fix our life, and sometimes he's just here to get us through it. We won't like that because that, that's not our plan, God. We want our plan, not your, not your plan. Your plan is to head towards the cross. Our plan, right, is always something different. <laughs> it's all right. Feel free. Come on in. <laughs> I loved it. He turned that sign around and said, man, they open. <laughs> all right, man, brother, if you're already messing with the sign, just come on in then. Right? We get it wrong. We get it, and Jesus still loves us, man. He's still headed there. Man, this is, this is where I get emotional in Easter. I get it wrong a lot, man. I, I feel like oftentimes I'm the guy, like at one moment, I'm like, Jesus, why aren't you doing it this way? Jesus is like, I got my own plan. I know you don't see it. You're, you're like the guy I'm talking to right here where you don't see it. I'm talking to you, man. You're going to have to risk. You're going to have to do things. I've given you gifts. I will return. I am coming back. Right? That whole parable, it's like it speaks to me. I am coming back. What have you done with what I've given you? When I come back, you better believe. I'm coming back as king. I am king. And then I think my favorite part is really what happens next. It's 41 through 42. It says this. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and began to weep. 
How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from you. So here he is on the back of the donkey. He has been paraded through, and as he comes to the end, he just weeps. And, he, and I would love to tell you that he's weeped with the overjoy of being praised. But he's not. He weeps because he knows you still don't get it. I, I, wish, I wish wonderful things upon you. That's what he said. Like I, I wish that you could have the peace that I give you. But I know what lies ahead for you. In all of what approaches, there's no bitterness, only tears. I'm, listen, <laughs> his compassion is on full display here. And, and he could be cynical. And, and I'm going to be honest, I think I would be. I'm not going to lie. I think I would be a cynical person and bitter at this point. Like, man, they never get it. Like, I feel like God of the Old Testament, right? You stiff-necked bunch of people. Wake up. Right? I mean, that's how I feel like I would be. I'd be, like, cynical. I'd have issues with it. But God, he doesn't. He knows that they don't know any better. Like, he sees that. He just sees them as innocent the whole time. (laughs) Do you you understand that? Like, he sees them as innocent. I mean, is it... He he knows that they're blinded by their own desires and by their own things that they're trying to do. And is it any wonder that the Gospels are riddled with Jesus saying things like they didn't understand until after he died? I mean, he tried to tell them all the time, but they're like, oh, we didn't get it until after he died. I mean, go read Book of Acts. It's like, oh, then they realize that's why he said that. Hmm. He told us everything, and yet we didn't listen. We didn't understand what he was saying. You know, I, 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 uh, I can only imagine the loneliness he must have felt the closer he got to the cross. Think about this whole day for him. Like, we, like, look at, I mean, like, I'm all about, like, it's a good day. Palm Sunday is a good day. Jesus has come. The atonement is coming. There are good things about all that's happening, right? And it's easy to to make this whole thing like gloomy. And I don't mean to make it sound gloomy, but the truth of what is literally happening in this day is Jesus knowing everything that's going to happen. The people know nothing about what's going to happen. And Jesus is still full of compassion, walking straightway towards the cross. No bitterness, no cynicism, no issues like that. I, but he's like the only one who knows, right? <laughs> so that's why like, there's a piece of me that goes, man, that's that sweating of blood, that weight of the burden of, of knowing when nobody else knows. Oh, I know what, they're praising me now, and that's great, and I'll take it all. Man, I love them. I love them. And even though I know what's ahead, I still love them. Even though I know that these blessings are going to turn into cursing, I still love them. I still want them, Right? But man, the loneliness that must have been. I mean, think about it. Uh, along the way, you know what's going to happen, too. He's going to lose his friends. Man, I, I'm going to tell you, the gut punch every time is every time Peter denies him, and it says that their eyes meet. Every time I see it on a movie or anything, my, I bawl. I'll cry. I can't talk about it right now. Oh, I feel it already whelping up. Right? I can only imagine how it must have felt the closer he got to the cross, the deep sadness of missing friends. Coming to grips with what lies ahead. Let me close with a few things right here, or at least move towards closing. It doesn't matter what 
path you take to find your purpose. There are some things that are unavoidable. There are some things that are going to be unavoidable. First and foremost, there's no skipping the process. There's just no walking straight to Jerusalem. You go through Jericho. You, got to do this. you still do the ministry. You know what lies ahead, but you still go do the ministry. There's no skipping the process. We just don't go, Jesus is born, go straight to the cross. No, there's a whole lot of in-between. There's having friends. There's seeing your friends die. Lazarus, he watched die, and even though he raised him back up, you know that he waited till he died because it was the Lord. He still felt all those things. There's no skipping. You don't get to anywhere by avoiding things, so you better brace yourself. Better yet, you'd better discover a prayer life. Because Jesus only gets to Jerusalem. Jesus only experiences a day like today with prayer. It's prayer that reveals what's actually happening, that allows him to see everything that's going on. It's prayer that basically starts out his day and tells him what's lying ahead of him the week that what's coming. That's, what, that's where that comes from. Supernatural knowledge comes from prayer. There's no skipping the process. Next, you're going to face the pain of rejection. Better get used to that one. If Jesus felt it, so will you. Not everyone sees like you do. You know, I used to, I still teach, you know, one of the greatest truths that came out of my life forever. Took me, it was sad, it took me like two years to really come to this. I think in prayers, I used to marvel at why God would tell Jeremiah all the time, what do you see, Jeremiah? He asked him like three times, what do you see, Jeremiah? Jeremiah? Oh, I see a pot boiling. Oh, yeah, that's because God would say, oh, yeah, the, the army's going to come out of the north and it would boil over. And, and then he would say things like to Elijah, what do you see, Elijah? Go out of the cave. What do you see? Seven times he goes out until he finally sees something. Right? It's all God's always, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And I used to ask myself all the time, man, you ask that a lot. <laughs> why do you, why? That would fascinate me. And I would, I would say that phrase all, all the time. What do you see? What do you see? Until God shared with me. And I've shared this in here that the reason is because whatever you see, it's what you're responsible for. Jesus sees the cross. And he's responsible for it. What do you see? Ultimately, at the end, you're only responsible for what you see. But notice this, that not everybody's going to see what you see. And it isn't your job to be bitter that they don't see it either. God opens ears and God opens eyes. And if God has shown you something, you might have to be the call. Listen, I, I mean, there's times where I think God's called me to be like a Jeremiah. I feel like I'm just a voice crying all the time. Drives my wife crazy. Just a voice crying all the time about things that I see. But I, don't, I, I feel like a Jeremiah. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> I just feel, I feel like that a lot. But, and that's part of the process, knowing that there's some things that nobody's ever going to see. And you might be rejected in your whole thought process for that. Get over it. I mean, I don't know, it's like the, maybe that's the mean way of saying that, but the truth of the matter is my identity is in Christ. Christ has allowed me to see the things that I see, and if he wants me to burden over the things I see, then I will burden over the things I see. He is enough. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. Amen? I had, uh, I'm constantly reminding Pastor Robert all the time. Talked to him this past week. They just gave out a whole bunch of shoes to their community, and, and I wonder where he got that idea. And, uh, and he was like, man, it's just so much, dude. I'm ready to, like, beat my church up. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, if this is hard, you're doing it wrong. If it's hard, you're doing it wrong. Christianity, I mean, you can't have that scripture that says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy, and you're making it hard and heavy. 
you are trying to man grip this thing rather than let God grip this thing, and you need to let go and let him do his stuff. Trust him more. Quit trying to handle it and let him do his thing. And, man, sure enough, you know, he calls me afterwards. They hand all that out. And, and uh, he's like, oh, I love my church. They're just so great. You, you should have seen them. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good pastor. Calls, calls me up and tells me good things about his people. That's the pastor I want to hang out with. That's a good pastor. But that's it's hard. It's hard. You're going to face things where you're going to see things nobody else can see, right? You're going to want to handle it. You're going to want to do things. You're going to face rejection because they don't see it like you see it. They don't understand it like you understand it, right? And you're frustrated, but I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have to deal. That's part of the pain of your purpose, whatever that is for you. Next, you'll, feel the, you'll, you'll, you'll face the pain of doubt and unbelief. I mean, Jesus, even Jesus at Gethsemane said, man, if this cup can pass... Well, nevertheless, thy will. I get that part, man. I get that part. But the, the, the humanity in him in that moment is always impressive to me. Make no, make no mistake, we're going to have moments where we don't believe. Look at Peter who followed him all the way there, who has to look him in the eye after telling him, I don't know you. And who is the one who called him to Christ in the first place? Peter. Peter called him Christ, and Peter denied him as Christ. One of the most bizarre scriptures found after the resurrection, right? After the great, like when they was getting ready to tell him the great commission, it said all the apostles were there and still some doubted. What? <laughs> Wait a minute. You saw his uh, nail-scarred body risen from the grave and you were still doubting? <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, for that scripture. Now I don't feel alone. That even though I know you're alive, I witness you every day in my life. And here's how I witness. By you. When, when you guys love on me, when my wife loves me, when my friends are loyal to me, when I see certain traits that are only godly traits, that's when I see Jesus. I know Jesus is alive. I've seen him in my life. He's completely and radically shifted my life from one place to another. I know Jesus is alive, and yet sometimes I doubt. You're going to have to deal with doubt and unbelief. It's crazy that even the apostles who touched his scars. <laughs> Still not sure. What? <laughs> what? You had dinner with the guy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they, even they doubted. I don't, I don't know about you, but like for me, I struggle with all these things. And I think if you're being honest, at times you struggle with them too. I mean, this is where we come in as the body of Christ. When the Hebrew author said that we should never forsake the assembling together between one another. I truly believe that was the intention of church, of what we've come to know as church. Church has always been the group of people who believe in Jesus Christ. That's all the church is. It was never a building. It was never groups, small groups, family groups. The church was always saved believers who believe in the Lord Jesus, who listen, obey, and love Him. That's always what the church has been. But as we see as it moved throughout the epistles, what it became as well, where accountability and passion and love, we started understanding what the body was, that he, when He began to preach the body, and we started to understand what our place was, that when we came together as a group, we're stronger. When we, when we come on you know, we, we meet on Sundays, Wednesdays, if you meet at other times. When we come on these days, we're stronger as a group. 
And, and while you might never hear me preach a hard time about church attendance, because church isn't, attendance isn't about salvation at all, the plain truth is this. Church exists for you, not you for it. It exists for you. It's an addition to your life. When the sheep huddle together, it provides protection. It does. You look like one big group. I've hunted sheep before. It's hard to kill them when they're in a group. You wait and wait and wait for them to single one out. Who's going to be the dumb one? Who's going to be the one that decides they're going to be like Mr. Solo and run out there by themselves? That's why it's, it's always like a, a thing. You know, as pastors, it's easy to spot. Like when people are struggling, those are usually the people that are missing church. There's no, there, there's no reason to come to church for attendance. That's, there's no salvation merit in that. And you can be saved and not come to church. But you'd be naive to think that you're safe not going to church. We hear that? That's why it's important that we reach out and we grab those in who are like sitting. I remember driving uh, 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 either, not last weekend, but a couple weekends ago, and seeing a bunch of sheep. And I saw like two or three like we're in the woods away from the whole group. And all I was thinking, that's dumb. That's easy prey. That's right. Be in the woods while the rest are in the wide open. The good thing about the wide open is you can see everything coming. Yeah, those three in the woods, man, that's food. That's food. Seeking to whom he may devour. That's the first place I'm going. Away from the group where you got nobody else that can tell you it's coming. We also provide accountability. Nobody's passing judgment. Nobody cares. Listen, if you come to church, great. If you don't, great. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not a big harping on who comes to church and who doesn't come to church because you'll, you'll never hear condemnation from me on that deal. But you're crazy not to. You're crazy not to. Accountability is one to the other. We can see. We got each other's back. We can tell when you're struggling with something. It allows us to pray for you. It allows us to love on you. We're family. We're family. The bad part is when we say we're family, I know you equate that to some family thing that you, were, you grew up with that was probably not great. Because these days it's hard to imagine any family that doesn't grow up in some kind of broken home or broken house, man. We deal with it all the time. All the time. I counsel students still today, people that don't go to our church, but students still today that, man, because they didn't have a dad growing up or that they had the worst dad ever growing up, that they have made poor decisions in their life and still making poor decisions in their life. They don't trust anybody at church because they won't trust male figures at all. I, I deal with, with, with uh, guys just too cool to be in church, too cool to think that they could need help. Too cool. Man, that's crazy. I'm going to tell you right now, man, military, if it, if it taught me anything, uh, just doing a fire watch taught me that, man, while I'm down sleeping, somebody else is awake. <laughs> That's huge. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you slept on post in the military, man, good luck. You're probably going to get beat up. Because when I'm sleeping, I need to know somebody's got a gun over the top of me, man, about to take care of business. When you sleep on the job, it basically says you don't love me. You don't find value in me. Well, man, to me, one of the things I think about the military that I took away from it, it's so godly in, in that aspect. I am my brother's keeper. I watch over the guy in the same hole as me. I watch over him. I didn't even have to like the guy, but in combat, it didn't matter. In combat, I watch over him. He watches over me. I go to sleep means he's awake. If he's asleep, I'm awake. I don't fall asleep. Both our lives are better for it. That's the church. It's also a statistical fact that those who attend church, are more, they report more to be happier with a sense of purpose. 
true. They say if you can get your, uh, statistically, they say if you get a, anybody involved in church, right, that, uh, what is it like, that they're 80% more likely to stay forever. If you can just get them involved, get them working in some form of ministry, in some form of function, 80% or more likely to stay. And that's why pastors are always like on top of trying to do things and keep people busy because people that stay busy doing church things stay. And I know we're slow about some of these things, and I know uh, uh, there's different things we're trying to do, and I also know that we're experimenting with a lot of things, with how we do outreach, with how we do some things, and a lot of that's going to require patience from you towards me. You know, it's telling joy. Like some of this I'm still figuring out. Why am I figuring it out? Well, we could do like what everybody does, but I haven't been satisfied with the results everybody gets because I really want radical, sold-out believers. So I'm on a search for how that works. Sometimes we'll do things like everybody else does. Sometimes we won't. That's part of the process. And I'm not going to skip the process. That's how it is. This is what I see. This is what I see. Now I'm going to bring the worship back up if you'll grab them, but... uh, those things I want you to remember as we get ready to sing these next few songs and we get ready to talk about the Lord and, uh, in worship. We are going to have a time at the altar here. And, and uh, the things that I want to pray for this morning, and if you're dealing with any of these things, these are the things I want to pray for. If you've struggled with rejection, I want to pray for you. If you've struggled with loneliness and doubt and unbelief, I want to pray for you. Um. We can get lost on the road real easy. Things are distracting. The world is distracting. And we can get lost real easy from where we need to be. But here's the thing is that's why you have family. Sometimes you see things I don't see and I have to completely rely on you. And I am not too prideful to say that sometimes I completely rely on you to see things. But also know this. Sometimes we can, other people can help you see things that maybe you can't see. And we watch each other. So we're going to have a time of worship and then we're going to have a time where we pray about these things. If you'll stand to your feet.